0: Welcome to Episode 2 of the GateWorld Podcast. This show is coming to you from GateWorld.net, now with 30% more dirty symbiote jokes. Look for the latest Stargate news and special features now at www.gateworld.net. In this week's podcast, we're talking about last Friday's new episode of Stargate Atlantis, The Seed. We'll also have a bonus discussion about Stargate Continuum, with clips from our recent interviews with writer and producer Brad Wright and director Martin Wood. But first we'll cover the latest Stargate news and talk about what's new over at the website. Please keep your hands and feet inside the Death Glider at all times. The GateWorld Podcast starts right now. Let's kick off our second episode today with a new feature. And this is something that I deliberately did not warn David about ahead of time. Oh no! It's stump the geek, in which I oh, attempt man. to embarrass the world's smartest Stargate fan with you know, really I've... hard Stargate trivia. You
1: know, I think my internet connection is uh,
0: is losing power here. I I don't know. Darren, can you <laughs> Darren? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you just fine. Are you ready? Thank God. I've chosen three really hard Stargate questions. I hope. For David this week. Oh, and uh, I'm looking forward to you, the listener, looking for you to send in some tough trivia questions of your own for next week. In fact, I don't know, maybe we'll mix it up next week and David will get to ask me some hard trivia questions.
1: Hey, I'd like that.
0: Are ready, David? Yeah, sure. Let's, let's get it over with. Question number one. Ugh. SG1 visits the planet Argos in the season one episode, Brief Candle. This is a kind of a softball question to start you out with. What is mm-hmm. the name of the baby that the team helps to deliver at the beginning of the episode? And you have to get the pronunciation right. Dan L. Dan L is right. Kal L, Jor L, Dan L. He's not part of the House of El though, is he?
1: I would call him Dan L to honor the stranger who birthed him. Oh, you don't have to do that. May we offer you the hospitality of our
0: village? Well, that'd be nice. Who are you, folks? We are the Chosen. Before Sam Carter and Stephen Caldwell met on Stargate Atlantis, the actors who play them had a love scene in which television series? The X-Files. And I have not seen that, that uh, episode. The X-Files is correct. Thank you. Amanda Tapping and Mitch Pileggi co-starred in the episode Avatar. Skinner and right. Amanda's character, uh, Karina Sales spend the night together, and then she turns up dead, and uh, A.D. Skinner becomes the prime suspect in her murder investigation.
1: That was a great character uh, that Mitch had on on X-Files. A great role for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mitch was completely rock steady in that role. Question three for David. What is the difference between the Goa'uld words Kelma and Kalma?
1: Um, let's
0: see here. Kelma
1: uh is child and kalma is um no kelma excuse me kalma is child and kelma
0: is like sanctuary or or freedom mm, i'm going to have to give you that one kelma means child and kalma means oh! sanctuary Oh, when, Apophis, when Apophis comes back to Earth in uh, Serpent yes. Song, he says, yes. I demand Kelma. I demand, demand Kelma.
1: You're not in a position to demand anything, sir.
0: Lock him up. That's a final score of three out of three. Good job, David. <laughs> Obviously, I did not pick difficult enough questions this week. Yeah. I didn't want to scare you too much.
1: Well, uh, I'm sure you'll do better.
0: Send in your really hard trivia questions to webmaster at gateworld.net now, and we'll try to stump the geek again next week. Here's your look at the latest Stargate news from Gateworld for July 22, 2008. Ratings are in for the season premiere of Stargate Atlantis. 1.8 million viewers in the U.S. tuned in to Search and Rescue on July eleventh, giving it a Nielsen rating of 1.3 this beats last year's fall premiere which earned a 1.2 rating. Atlantis also did well in some key demographics for the sci-fi channel, making it the top cable network for the 10 p.m. hour among men aged 25 to 54.
1: I have to say this this was one of the ratings this was the rating that I was expecting for this opening season in this ballpark unfortunately. You remember the good old days when the ratings were in the 2.0 area. Yeah, that was
0: back before DVR and TiVo and
1: Yeah, at least before they were so prevalent. Now we can't seem to get away from them, you know?
0: Yeah, the 1.3 rating is actually... um, I'm kind of a pessimist when it comes to ratings, so it was a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. I'm glad that it beat the fall premiere, although, I don't know, it's kind of apples and oranges to compare a summer premiere with a fall premiere. And that's the kind of the danger. when, When your opening
1: episode has to do with an episode that is already aired, if it's connected to it in any way... Part of the problem is some people haven't seen it and are not as interested in watching it, or maybe the first part wasn't interesting to people, and so they have less of a reason to come back and watch the second. That was one of the great things about SG-1, you know, when they were thinking of canceling the show, there were some great opening episodes. Like, I loved – Redemption and I loved New Order, and they had nothing to do with the season enders. But you know, when, when you leave them in a cliffhanger, you're gonna you take some risks, and that, and that is definitely one of them. Speaking of Stargate Atlantis, the show was nominated this week for a 2008 Emmy Award. Season 4's premiere, Adrift, has been honored in the Outstanding Special Effects category. Its competition includes Battlestar Galactica, Heroes, the Discovery Channel series, Human Body. Jericho, and Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. The Sci-Fi Channel picked up a record 16 nominations this year, including six for Battlestar and nine for the miniseries Tin Man. The Creative Arts Awards ceremony will be held September 13th and the Primetime Emmys broadcast on September 21st.
0: It's interesting to see a drift in this. Um, Congratulations to Mark Savella and the the visual effects team. Um, But, you know, Be All My Sins Remembered was such a huge effects episode. Would that still be in the bracket of episodes that they would have considered for this award? Well, that is interesting. It, well, would it? Because it, broad, it was broadcast in uh, 2008, wasn't it?
1: Uh, be All My Sins Remembered was broadcast uh, yeah, this year.
0: In January. So uh, it just may not have been eligible. For the That episode awards. has got to get an Emmy. That has been... And I'm, I'm,
1: don't get me wrong, I'm delighted for Adrift. There was some great puddle jumper effects in there, some great shots of the city, and some, that, that neat scene with Shepard and Zelinka. But Beyond My Sins Remember just takes the cake, man.
0: The panel schedule for Comic-Con has been announced with three big Stargate panels set to take place in San Diego here on Friday, July 25th. Stargate Continuum is up first at 10.45 in the morning, And that panel will include Richard Dean Anderson, Amanda Tapping, Ben Browder, Michael Shanks, Chris Judge, Brad Wright, and Martin Wood.
1: Dang, can't miss that.
0: Stargate Worlds is up next at 11.45. Members from the Cheyenne Mountain team will talk about the Massively Multiplayer online role-playing game, which is currently aiming for a 2009 release. They'll show a sneak peek of the game and do some Q&A with fans. And finally, Stargate Atlantis fans won't want to miss... That show's panel at 12.15 on Friday. Uh, Joe Flanagan, Robert Picardo, Jewel State, Brad Wright, and Sci-Fi Channel VP Chris San Agustin will be on hand. For more details on these and other Comic-Con events, just visit gateworld.net. And be sure to stop by the Stargate booth at Comic-Con. I will
1: be on hand for some of the event as well, so look for a, a handsome stud, six-two. And available in a flashy GateWorld t-shirt. And uh, step up and introduce yourself. Say hi. And I don't want to see anyone leaving the auditorium after the SG-1 panel to go get a soft drink while the Stargate World's panel is on stage. I was working with these people for a year and a half. They are amazing. The game that they are coming out with is extraordinary. You will not want to miss that discussion.
0: Yeah, maybe we should make it one of our goals for this podcast to uh, match David up with some eligible... (laughs) Eligible That's young ladies. <laughs> You're going to end up uh, with a date with a Wookie.
1: Oh, geez. At least as long as he doesn't ask me to the, uh, to the Life Day ceremony. The new fifth season of Stargate Atlantis is now on iTunes and Amazon.com. Both download services are selling episodes for $1.99 each, with Friday's episodes becoming available sometime on Saturday. Downloads are currently restricted to U.S. customers only. Boo for them.
0: You know, I moved to a place where we don't get the sci-fi channel and can't get the sci-fi channel through uh, the school's cable service, so iTunes has become my lifeblood. I bought the season pass last week, and uh, when I went to download the Seed over the weekend, uh, instead I got uh, a random episode of How I Met Your Mother. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, we have new details on the upcoming episode, Brainstorm, over at GateWorld, We'll keep this podcast mostly spoiler free, don't worry. So head over to the site now if you'd like to learn more about the story. Brainstorm is written by Martin Garrow and will also be Martin's directorial debut for Stargate. It's currently slated to be the 16th episode of the season, so you won't be able to see it on sci fi until early 2009.
1: Martin recently directed his uh, first feature film, um, which I prefer to call "Young People Doing It," uh, <laughs> which I'm still waiting to arrive in Phoenix. This guy's not only is he a friend of mine, but he's a talented young writer, and I'm sure he's oh, going to yeah. make an equally talented director. Oh, yeah. The guy's just going to kick butt.
0: Maybe we should have a contest to uh, come up with some more family-friendly titles for Martin's <laughs> movie. <laughs> Here's what's new this week at GateWorld.net. I say we
1: move on. Darren and I were invited to the crew's theatrical showing of Stargate Continuum in April. uh, And after uh, we we had our our jaws on the floor most of the time. But uh, we managed to convince Brad Wright to allow us to film at the premiere event and put together a video feature. And the result is Screening Continuum on the Red Carpet. And it's on the site now. It's a 20-minute special, give or take, um, with ep- with interviews with 20 cast and crew members. And this is a this is the feature that I've just been been busting at the seams for the past three months to just show everyone. You did um, a really great job with
0: this one. It's I was it's, very proud of it. Thank you. I mean, um, we are at the end of the day. Gateworld is a fan site. We're a couple of of Stargate loving nerds who sit down and and have fun doing this stuff. And it's just amazing that we even got invited to the event let alone that brad let us shoot and publish from it so that everybody else in the world can see some of the things that we saw yeah
1: you know i i don't care as much about these events if i can't share it with the fans as soon as he said you know that 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 he would like us to show up the 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 first flash in my head was great a, and then B, what can I do to turn this around and, and give it to my fellow Gators? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, it's a 20-minute special, interviews 20 of the cast and crew members, both before they sat down to watch the completed movie and afterward. And here's a sample of the atmosphere at the event. I'm just looking forward to seeing it again. I think it's a really great uh, film. I think it's, uh, it's going to be an instant fan favorite. It's got all sorts of fun, tiny surprises.
0: I want to I see what Brad changed yesterday. Yeah. I want to see if he's changed it from what we finally locked into him in May. I just want to see if he changed it. That's the only thing I'm worried about. I want to see the Arctic footage. Oh, yeah. You're really looking forward to that? Have you seen it yet? I've seen some
1: of it, but I haven't seen it all put together. And I want to see the plane uh, flying the F-15. Wow. I actually
0: did. She she actually flew it. I've seen it 10 million times, but I've never seen it big. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it big. And watching an audience react to it. Yeah. Television directors never get a chance to have an audience react, so I'm very interested in seeing that. And what you don't see in the video is that I bumped my flight from Vancouver to Philadelphia to a a red-eye and went to the event, which was, of course, a a once-in-a-lifetime treat, uh, and then took a red-eye home, drove an hour from Philadelphia, and went straight to class on Monday morning. See, but if I could have filmed that, I would have. If you haven't visited the Stargate image gallery yet, here's another 10,000 reasons thanks to the amazing screen-capping efforts of t Sachs' lady, the Atlantis. Nora. Nora. The Atlantis season 4 gallery is almost complete. The DVDs have been out for only 2 weeks now and we're just about done. You know, by the time this podcast goes up, we might even be done. We probably to be done. Yeah. 2 episodes left. As of right now, we've added more than 10,000 new images. From eighteen out of twenty episodes in season four, everything except for outcast and harmony, those two episodes will be added very, very soon. These are high quality screen caps from the dVDs and uh, once we get season four all done, it'll bring the gallery's total number up to more than two hundred and fifteen thousand images.
1: And you think we're going to slow down, but we're not, you know. We already have plans to expand in, into new uh, galleries, some photo galleries, and a couple of new sections for galleries that you can't find anywhere on the Internet. I thought it was really cool that we um, did a Stargate Infinity gallery, and that's, that's something that not a lot of people would have thought of, would have thought of producing, you know. Yeah, there or are,
0: There are a couple of people out there who like Stargate Infinity.
1: And so many of, of the Stargate capsites out there, which boggles me, don't include the film, the original theatrical feature. And that was the first thing that I did that when, when, I started, when you and I started working on this. I thought that was really important to get some high-quality shots of that.
0: Yeah, so uh, we'll be doing some galleries from lots of conventions. We've got some convention goers out there who've got these great high-powered cameras. We're taking some great photos for us. Uh, we'll be doing convention galleries. And uh, who knows if I find some time, maybe we'll get some screen caps done from season five of Atlantis. In last week's podcast, we gave you a sneak preview of
1: Gateworld's interview with Robert Picardo, my favorite actor of all time, and it's on the site now. The actor behind Richard Woolsey chatted with us for half an hour about Stargate Atlantis and the Star Trek franchise. Just how is an irritating antagonist like Woolsey going to be integrated into the show? Listen to the interview now to hear Picardo's answer. Just visit GateWorld or subscribe to the new GateWorld Interviews podcast.
0: We're not done covering episodes like Search and Rescue in the Sea just because they've aired on sci fi. While you're passing away the time waiting for the next episode, you can find a complete transcript of the new episode. You can find GateWorld's story summary, pictures, a list of related Omnipedia links, and a whole lot more. You can also vote in the poll to help rate this episode. 6,000 fans gave Search and Rescue an average of 8.86 out of 10 last week. Last but not least, over at GateWorld Forum, we've got thousands of fans talking about the newest episode and writing fan reviews. We'd love to have you join us.
1: Don't balk at the size of the community. You know, I, I, I talk with people on a regular basis in our forum who, who say that they, they see people who are like, oh, no, it's 30,000 members. How can I possibly find a way in there? You know, how, how am I possi- possibly going to have a voice? But, you know, that GateWorld, the town, and then there are communities. So jump in there.
0: Get yeah, yourself a
1: uh, login and find a community and find one that suits your tastes. Surely you'll find someone in there that you like.
0: <laughs> Maybe someone named Shirley. <laughs> oh, gosh. moving on a wookie um, named
1: Shirley. <laughs> oh jeez. and if you're a music lover head on over to gate world play for a listen to our recently published review of the arc of truth score by composer joe goldsmith it's about seven minutes of music from the cd And this is explored in a video review, which weaves the soundtrack in with footage from the film. If you could see my hands, they're going back and forth in an ocean-like wave movement. Um, Here's a clip from the review. Now, being the music buff that I am, I have always been hypercritical of the music on Stargate. In many crucial episodes, I felt it wasn't given enough attention, always pushed behind loads of sound effects, and I've often wished that the budget would be extensive enough to allow Joel a real-life orchestra. While I'm wishing, I'd also like to have heard a choir. In the arc of truth, all of this pays off. The music is given whole scenes to breathe, with an absence of sound effects, the budget allows for an orchestra, and yes, I get my choir. Have a listen to this great moment in the film, which Joel's team likes to call Tilke's Journey.
0: Joel did a fantastic job with the score on this one, and obviously you are a music aficionado. And... Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a music
1: aficionado when it comes to the Goldsmith
0: family, and, I
1: mean, it's, it's just a privilege to know the man. You know, it's, he's, he's done such good work. His father certainly has done good work, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a real treat that he's continuing to be a part of the Stargate legacy. <laughs>
0: Before we continue on to our main discussion of the seed, let's talk a little bit about Stargate Continuum. The new movie is on DVD and Blu-ray in just one week.
1: Yeah, this is one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. I had a lot of fun with the Ori arc, but this is the first SG-1 story that is unhindered in three years. You know, and yes, it. Uh, you hear a lot of people say that you know this this story is 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 a complete one-off. I have to disagree with that. You know, this this story is about Ball and is re- resolving a huge issue with the the stories uh, that SG One has been telling. You know, but it, it also is a one off, and in, in that, you know,
0: it has uh, it's not just about Ball. It's a one off in that it's completely, I think, accessible to to people who are not hardcore Stargate fans who have not seen a whole lot of the series or any of the exactly. series necessarily. But you're right; it's connected to the show, and that in that in season ten. Ball and all of ball's clones were sort of a, a thread that that the show had to leave hanging when it got canceled and so yeah. this is going to tie up that loose end while having still a standalone story to tell
1: yeah and you know i've I've already suggested that a couple of my friends you know who don't watch Stargate and therefore know very little about me should uh, should see this to to gain some insight into the madness that is my career yeah I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to shoving this CD into the uh, into the the disc player and and calling them over and saying watch
0: let's listen to a clip from Brad Wright Richard Dean Anderson is back in this movie, and uh, as we said last week, uh, Continuum's not a, an RDA movie. He doesn't he doesn't drive the action. He's not at the center of the story. But, you know, to be honest, I've been a little disillusioned with the Jack O'Neill character for a couple of years, since he was no longer the head of SG-1, starting with Season 8, uh, and it, it seemed like RDA was, was kind of not quite there for his last year.
1: You know, he wanted to move on, and... I think they realized
0: after a while that yes, the
1: show could be done without him, but when his time is divided so much like that, it's hard to jump into the shoes of Jack O'Neill. You know, this is such an i this is such a this is such an iconic character. You know, uh-huh. like like Indiana Jones or uh-huh. any any other number, like Han Solo. You know, I mean, t- t- I, he's constantly compared to Harrison Ford. I know, but you know, this is this is a, a very witty role that you can that you can't always just flip on. And let's let's face it, he did he did have his thoughts with with his daughter, and you know I can't say I blame him. So I'm glad that he was able to go away and do his thing, and now when he comes back, he can really get to work. I loved his performance in uh, in the return; it was just great. You know, what were you doing down there? The backstroke. I, I just I just <laughs> died. I'm glad that he's back, and it says with special appearance by Richard Dean Anderson, if if I'm not mistaken, in the tile at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the film. So you know it's. It's it's not about Rick and it's not about
0: Jack and yeah, um, but you know it's, it's great the great Jack the Jack that is in this movie I think is 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 the Jack that we know and love from the early years of SG one. He's he's irreverent. He's at times he's deeply serious to the point of anger, uh, and it, it mm-hmm. just sh- some of these scenes uh, just show that Rick is recharged and when he comes back and gets to yeah. Stargate once a year, he yeah. he is he's there. Yeah, Brad wrote him some great
1: lines. I mean, that is why we went through all this singing. Get rid of the last bad guy, and then
0: there's cake. <laughs> I mean, that's great. And every time Jack comes back, there are fans who want to see how is Jack going to interact with Sam? How is Jack going to interact with Daniel? And yeah. I'm happy to say that there, there are great little moments for both of those relationships in the movie. Now, some of the producers have said that Stargate Continuum as its arc of truth was more of the resolve the series arcs but continuum as a standalone movie would be more of a rehearsal for a possible theatrical stargate release david do you think that this franchise is at the point in its in its notoriety that it could succeed on the big screen if it's going to
1: continue to succeed it has to it has to be allowed to grow like what, what Chris Judge said to us in, in uh, our, our recent interview with him on the red carpet, you know, the, the, the movie was a great litmus test. And you can, you can do DVD movies for a few years and they'll be, they'll be very successful. I'm sure MGM, looking at it from a, from a financial standpoint, you'll, they'll find that they, are very, that they are very successful. But I really do think that after the DVD phase has gone on for a couple of seasons – they will be cutting themselves off at the knees if they don't at least consider a theatrical release.
0: It's difficult because, you know, Stargate airs on basic cable in the United States and it gets uh, between a million and a half and two million viewers right now. Obviously, a, a, a major release is going to increase the interest. Uh, the involvement of Richard Dean Anderson is going to increase the interest. But uh, it's having never been on broadcast television. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily at the level of... of Notoriety that something like the X Files has, the new X Files movie is about to come out. Sex and the City just did a new movie that was that was a financial success. So I kind of wonder if that's where MGM's head is right now. Is is Stargate a well enough known quantity, a well enough known brand name, that a theatrical is number one going to going to get enough attention from people who don't watch Atlantis every week? And number two is not going to oversaturate the Stargate market so much with as much as much Stargate as we have out here right now with a series that's ongoing. And uh, obviously, July of two thousand eight is big with DVD movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's my beef.
1: It's and it applies not only to directions in the storytelling for SG one and Atlantis, but also like directions in how they're going to present the material, be it television shows, be it DVD movies, be it theatrical releases. It's so easy and it's so simple to get complacent where MGM or sci-fi or whoever says, who, whoever is, is the bean counter says, what we have works just fine right now, so yeah. let's not change it. Yeah. You know,
0: I think that's but the mentality it, that, that led to the downfall of, of Star Trek and Enterprise. And yes. so it's, it's pushed that franchise to the point where... It has had to lie fallow and rest for a few years and then have a totally different take, which we're finally getting now with J.J. Abrams' take. I don't want Stargate to get to the point where it's being played so carefully and so cautiously and at the same time uh, sort of oversaturating the market with Stargate product that we get to the point where Stargate needs to take a break for a few years
1: yeah you know that's that's the thing you know and and we can go on and on with this this discussion you know I loved SG-1 for what it was Atlantis I'm not as in love with Atlantis as I was SG-1 because Atlantis is trying to be in certain ways a copy of SG-1, and if Universe is going to be a copy of Atlantis and SG-1, that I'm probably not going to be as interested in it either. It has to go in a different direction with its storytelling. It, in this case, it can still be on television, but it has to be, it has to take risks. But yeah. still, at the same time, like you and I have discussed with Brad, it has to be Stargate.
0: It has to follow the Stargate formula to a certain degree, but it also, like you said, has to take risks. I think that DS9 coming out when Star Trek: The Next Generation was still on the air um, was nice because DS9 was was pretty pretty significantly different of a show. Yes, you know, you had it was
1: it was a it was a huge stage of secondary and tertiary characters that would come in, and you know the stories were much more interconnected. You know, was, that was a was... risk
0: in 1992 or whatever. You yeah. know, that was, that was a big that it was, was a, a big risk. It was a darker show. It was not set on a starship. We had to have the action come to us on the station. Yeah, you know, um, and a lot of people, like, like my father, had no
1: interest in a station-based episode, you know, a, a station-based show. And he had no interest until The Defiant came in.
0: Yeah. Well, we've drifted from Stargate Continuum to <laughs> Stargate Universe and Deep Space Nine. <laughs> we'll definitely talk more about Stargate Universe in this podcast in future weeks. Martin
1: was correct that that is uh, that is an excellent uh, pair of scenes from from the film that hangar scene you know speaks to the entire that's that's one of the moral mo- moments that that's probably the most moral scene in the in the uh, in this film you know what are we what what is it that we're really trying to do you know and is it something that we should be doing should we do do we think that uh, how arrogant are we to to change the direction of an entire planet, even though it, it was our enemy that, that changed it to begin with. So this can't be good. Yeah, And uh, also that uh, that intercutting shot with all the different takes is, is a very special moment, too. It's not something that's really been
0: done with Stargate before. Yeah, these are both really cool scenes. They follow kind of a high-intensity, high-action couple of, of beats in the movie. And so when you get to these points where it's characters that we love, sitting around a table having this sort of moral dilemma discussion, uh, it really shows you that Continuum is, is not your typical Stargate adventure. It's, uh, it's going to take some time to slow down and have some dramatic character. Yeah, beings. some levity, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, it's very poignant, you know.
1: It's definitely one of my favorite scenes from the film. Martin was dead on about that.
0: If you want to get ready for Stargate Continuum's DVD release next week, we've got a viewer's guide to Continuum that we're publishing this week on GateWorld. That includes some recommended episodes of Stargate SG 1 to rewatch before you sit down to enjoy Continuum. Some of those time travel episodes like 1969, 2010. Uh, you'll get to uh, see Jack's relationship with Ball if you rewatch Abyss, and see what's going on with Ball and all his clones in episodes like Ex Deus Machina and Insiders
1: good shows many good shows in there
0: once again Continuum is on DVD and Blu-ray Disc next Tuesday July 29th we'll be recording an extra podcast that week so that we can spend our normal Tuesday hour talking about next week's episode Broken Ties and uh, then on Friday August 1st you'll get a bonus episode of the Gate World Podcast in which we'll talk exclusively about Stargate Continuum so tune in and be sure to watch the movie before that And then the following week, we'll return to our normal Tuesday schedule. And on August 5th, we'll talk about the Daedalus variations.
1: Our main discussion topic for this week is uh, The Seed, which aired this past Friday on the Sci Fi Channel, in which Jennifer Keller gets eaten alive by a giant booger.
0: A giant booger?
1: giant tendril-like booger you know it, it had a lot of um you know i i saw a lot of connections from spielberg's war of the worlds um and I, I know it was supposed to look like wraith but uh i got that i got that feeling from it you know like it was like it was this that growing creature you know that 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 choked the earth in uh, in war of the worlds that was that was based off of human blood i really loved the the explanation for how the hive ships are conceived
0: Yeah, so now the explanation given in the episode is that this is sort of the process by which Hive ships are apparently grown. Or at least it's hinted at that. Beckett and Zelenka, I think, are talking in the episode. They say, we've always known that the Hive ships are organic technology, but we never knew how they were created before. Does that mean that this is the normal process for creating a Wraith Hive ship? And that every time you make one, you have to have a human a or sacrifice, some other form of life that you that you basically put at the heart of your hive ship and grow grow the hive ship out of that person
1: yeah i was I was thinking that it was going to be as i was I was watching these tendrils grow and grow. I was thinking about spoils of war, where Andy Frizzell, is one of the wraith queens is is basically plugged into this giant mass. And I thought it was going to be more like that, you know, where she she was going to she was going to be at the center of at of some kind of wraith technology, be a, a cloning facility or a, or something like that. But um, it really wasn't what I was expecting, you know. And yeah, it does raise it does raise the question: Is this the normal way that that this happens, or is this um, is this uh, just what the virus has access to? So it's going to use a human to to provide the uh, the brain bandwidth to create a hive ship or a, or a scout ship or a, you know, whatever it was going to ultimately become whatever it was going to ultimately change Atlantis into.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to think about the idea that maybe a hive ship needs a, a human brain or, or an organic brain as a central processing unit. There's this, this part in the seed where Jennifer basically gets taken over by this thing and it starts to speak through her as as an intelligence. Yeah, I didn't see that coming That was very clever. That was very that was very sweet. There have been comparisons made to Sam Carter being taken over by the computer virus in season four's Entity. I don't know, I think that they, they didn't take it too far to make it too similar to that. Having your mind taken over and, and an alien consciousness speak through you is sort of a sci fi staple.
1: Entity didn't
0: actually cross my mind at all.
1: Yeah, that didn't that didn't occur to me. Not to yeah. say that uh, it wouldn't to most fans, but you know I think I didn't, that, I didn't think about that.
0: I think that maybe if Shepard had gotten into the chamber at the end of the episode and found Keller sort of sitting up and awake and engaged, and the alien having an having an argument with him through that through that interface, yeah, it might have been a little bit more similar.
1: yeah, that would have been interesting too, but yeah, you you run a risk of of repeating what you've already done in s g one yeah so and woolsey um taking mm-hmm. over. The base, you know, I felt I was watching that scene of him in the uh, in the conference room of uh, with the new conference table, might I add, which is hideous. Um, (laughs) I don't like that new table. You know, he was sitting there. He brought his he brought his folder in. He brought his pen in, and I it, it was like I was watching. A meeting at one of my previous jobs where we sit in. we mm-hmm. So what's what's the discussion topics? You know what what are what are the points of action? You know what do you need to do to get this done? What do you need to do to get this done? Why is this not being done? What are the reasons why this is not done? What can we do to lower those barriers? You know, do yeah. you have time for this project? And it was like, oh my gosh, I, I know exactly what they're going through, and it sucks.
0: He's a you know? businessman and a bureaucrat, and that. It, not only the way that he interacts with that and conducts the meeting, but the fact that they're at that big conference table just makes it it feel so familiar, at least to those of us who have, who've had those kind of jobs. But I actually like the table. It kind of got back to the SG-1 conference table feeling. Oh, really? I always felt like the, the sort of big wide arc table segments that they had in the first several years of the show sort of separated the characters a bit too much. I'm sure it was interesting to shoot with it but uh, it always made it feel like the characters were too far apart for me. Because here we've got, we've got everybody kind of cozy up elbow to elbow, and right. seeing, seeing Ronan sitting at a conference table, sitting back <laughs> with his arms folded, it was just, I think, hilarious. Yeah, but, you know, to, to bringing a piece of home like that, like a
1: conference table, you have to ask yourself, what was running through <laughs> Woolsey's head? It's so impersonal. That he needed to bring his table.
0: It's so yeah. impersonal.
1: You know, I can just what see, a weird, like... Choice someone jumping up on the table and like doing you know like gyrating or i mean come
0: on <laughs> we remembered at the very beginning of atlantis season one everybody who came on the expedition originally got to bring one personal item from home is this Woolsey's personal item a giant <laughs> conference table yeah i know
1: he, he couldn't bring the uh he couldn't bring the yorkie so he brought the uh he brought the table instead you know I don't think that's the case anymore. I, I, I hope that they're allowed to bring more contents now that they've got uh, a fort. Now that they know that Atlantis does exist on the other side and that they have the room for it. I'm, I'm sure uh, he was allowed to bring more than the conference table.
0: Yeah. Well, we've seen characters with uh, with more than one item. This has been talked about on the forum, how Shepard has yeah. He's got the football tape. He's got War and Peace. He's got yeah. the Johnny Cash poster. Yeah, exactly. We've we seen this episode. He's got golf clubs. Exactly.
1: Well, he's had those at least two years now, so that's something that you could probably borrow from a, from another, from a fellow golfer.
0: Yeah. It's not like Atlantis has, has uh, Star Trek replicators. They can just make these things. Exactly. I think it's really important that we
1: recognize the return of Paul McGillian in our yeah. discussion here. You know, I was not back. expecting to see him back so fast.
0: Yeah, it's only been, uh, you know, if you ignore the mid-season break, it's only been a couple of episodes since he went into that freezer. Exactly. And I, I I a part of me
1: was kind of surprised that they didn't bring up the fact at all in this episode that he was that he was Michael's creation and uh Woolsey didn't have any hesitation about that. I mean, we we understand that yes, he is not actually a part of the a part of the uh official member of the expedition, but uh, I was surprised Woolsey didn't have uh more of a pause in in allowing him to uh to help out with uh whatever was going on.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Woolsey talks about the fact that he's concerned about Beckett because Beckett is not a member of the expedition and Beckett, you know, has this medical condition that he needs to be in a hospital bed himself. Uh, I was kind of surprised that it didn't come up that he is, he's a clone. He's, he's not Beckett. Michael's creation. Um, not only from the aspect of Woolsey's concerns about about Beckett being involved in the medical investigation, but just from, from all the characters, uh, it seems like all the characters have pretty quickly accepted him as Yeah, even though even though our Beckett that we that we know and love uh, is gone.
1: Yeah. And if you do believe in a soul, you know, did did that soul descend and 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 uh, become a part of Beckett or, you know, I mean, that's another again, another discussion entirely.
0: This was dealt with in The Kindred Part Two last year. Uh, Very briefly, uh, Rodney has a conversation with Carson and says, you know, basically, as far as I'm concerned, you're you're Carson, you're my friend back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't really come up again. I'd, I'd really be interested to see more done with Carson in terms of his finding his own identity as a clone, that he is not Carson. And maybe there there are some people on the base who, yeah, they're glad to have him back. They're glad to have a Carson around. But still, you don't want to cheapen the fact that one of your good friends has died.
1: Mm-hmm. And not only that, but this is a Carson who doesn't remember the last two years. You know, that's when... when uh... When when McKay, it was one of the things that surprised me about uh, the Kindred. When McKay reveals w- Weir is dead, she was killed by the replicators. It surprised me. Carson didn't go the who, because <laughs> hmm. that entire arc he was oblivious to. That, and that was one of th- one of my beefs with this episode as well. You know, is Jennifer pokes around in the Wraith database, which was introduced when McKay was was buried in, under rubble. You know, she pokes around the Wraith database. She finds she finds the um, the serum, and oh yeah, the problem's solved. Now Carson's okay.
0: Yeah, I think it could have been worse. I think that it was it was nice that that Keller has this little exchange with Woolsey that basically, okay, we've reached the limits of what we're going to be able to figure out, so at some point we need to just thaw him out and try it and see if it works. And that this ended up being sort of a little mini-dilemma for her. Mm-hmm. Not
1: only was, was the um, that serum that she developed for him, which had never been tested, worked, but the serum that Beckett developed to treat Keller
0: in reverse had
1: also never been tested
0: and yeah. worked. Well, um, these guys are you know, good at what they do.
1: They are. They are. You know, that, but yeah.
0: One too many serums for you? Well, for one episode? it's kind of
1: like it's kind of like going through the motions until about the 39 minute mark of the show. And then we solve the problem that's another one of those issues with, with that I have with episodic television is we, we get into a problem, we play around with it a little bit, we have some dialogue, we have some action scenes and then we get out of it again. You know, there's there's never that fear that that something is going to be changed at the end of the episode. And granted they they are they're doing a good job of of introducing elements like that in where something happens at the end of the episode that changes it like like the revelation at the end of
0: um of
1: missing that the tale is pregnant and that spools Mm -hmm. out throughout the
0: series you know Mm -hmm. i'd have to say that i think season five is is really off to a good start uh i i enjoyed the seed Uh, as as a standalone self-contained for the most part episode it's not the best that the show's ever done, but uh, I don't think it has any any major flaws. I I certainly liked seeing Carson back. I liked seeing Woolsey uh, step into his new role. I, I really liked seeing Keller get a bit more attention and a bit more character growth. Uh, I'm one of those fans who just loves Jewel State and thinks that the character has a lot of potential once she gets her potential written for her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's it's probably not one that I'm going to be jumping at the
1: bit to to play again, but there were there were some scenes in that and that that I just loved. Again with again with Bob, you know, I I am biased. Well,
0: it he's did good. two it did two important things for the for the overall story. It reintroduced Woolsey as the new base commander and sort of gave us a a sense of how he's going to do this job and it also got Carson out of the freezer. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm glad
1: that he's doing things so differently. It's going to give them something new to play with. And I, I know there are the fans out there who are who you know what whatever the team likes, they like. If the team accepts Woolsey, they'll accept Woolsey. If the team doesn't accept Woolsey, they won't accept Woolsey. I like what this character is doing to the team. You know, oh, yeah. I, I like that he's that he's nails on a chalkboard to them. I think that they
0: need that. A lot of fans have expressed concern over the Woolsey character being given such a prominent role in Atlantis. And, you know, I was hopeful when I heard the news, but this is, this is Woolsey's first big Woolsey episode, and I think it's really going to take Atlantis to a new level. I think that there are, there are a few actors out there who bring a certain sense of gravity to what they're doing, and this is not to detract from Atlantis' cast at all. I think Picardo brings a, a level of gravitas to the show that is really going to raise the game, I think.
1: Yeah, and, you know, not, not to be spoilery about an upcoming episode, but you and I were there for the climax of Ghost in the Machine. And I was sitting down there in the gatrium, and they're up there shooting, and, and Bob is with one of the prominent guest stars of the episode, and he's issued, uh, Woolsey is issuing his ultimatum. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's good. And I, I'm really looking forward to um, his character coming to bat for the team. And his character being forced to grow in directions that uh, he hadn't intended, no, he's not going to be able to, to work by the book forever.
0: And his f- his first his first crisis, and he broke what? Six rules. Yeah, so, yeah he's learning that. I yeah. think it's some great growth for the character, and I think it's, it's it's going to make Woolsey the sort of guy that we can even if you don't love him, you can really sort of sympathize with him. You can feel where he's coming from and what he's trying to accomplish we're all victims of our circumstances and yeah. we don't know Woolsey's circumstances yet. You know, it's one of
1: the things I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing.
0: This last scene with Woolsey and Shepard, we'll play a clip in a minute, is absolutely telling for who his character is in his heart, I think. He goes to Shepard. He's usually the guy who, is is evaluating other people and criticizing their judgment uh, and this he goes to Shepherd at the end of the episode, and he he opens himself up and he's extremely vulnerable, saying, "I just got off the phone with my bosses, and they're you know I screwed up in in these ways by breaking the rules, and you know the rules are there for a reason, and I'm not sure if i if I don't get to follow the rules the way that I'm used to thinking about things, I'm not sure if I can do this
1: yeah, it surprised me that the character said that but Reversely, I'm, I'm glad that he did. Stargate Atlantis is not a musical, you know? He can't, he can't pull himself out of space-time and, and speak, to the, speak to the audience, like explain to us what he felt about that. So it was nice mm-hmm. that he was able to go to Shepard and say these things, you know?
0: Yeah, that's the Woolsey that I think I'm going to love in season five, that Woolsey who is, is vulnerable there and the Woolsey who all throughout the episode has to turn to his people who are used to these crisis situations and say, okay, well, what do I do? What do what do we do? Do you have a cure? Is there any way we can fix this? What are the options? He's kind of flying by the seat of his pants. He's, he's there, and at this point, so early in the game, he's really relying on the expertise of these people. Before I came down here, I was on a call with my superiors back on Earth. They were going over my preliminary report. What did you tell them? The truth. That in my first three days as commander... I violated at least half a dozen basic security protocols. That many, huh? I compromised the safety of this base to rescue someone who may well have been beyond our help anyway. But she wasn't.
1: And we got her out. And if you had played by the rules, she'd be dead right now.
0: The IOA would seem to agree with you. Apparently, they're willing to let the matter drop. So what's the problem? The rules are there for a reason, Colonel. If I can't trust them, then I'm not sure I can do this job.
1: We've been pretty floored by um, the response that we've had for our first podcast, and we're very pleased to have uh, some comments to share with you, both good and bad. we, we, We welcome them all.
0: And uh, here's uh, Darren. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you pop open our mailbag and see what we've got? Let's look at the first email and comments that have been posted both at GateWorld Forum and uh, in the news comments thread. Darafed asks Will the podcasts be spoiler free? This is a big issue the spoilers and how much you guys want to hear in this podcast. Uh, also, Thoth writes I vehemently avoid spoilers on even basic details of upcoming episodes. In this podcast, I accidentally heard something last week about Carson, Keller, and a parasite before I managed to get the iPod out of my pocket and skip past the spoilers. So, ideally for me, there would be no spoilers in the podcasts. After all, people who want to be spoiled most likely already are, through GateWorld. And for those of us who don't, it only takes one sentence to ruin an episode. Vehemently, he says. Vehemently avoids. We hear you, and uh, we want these podcasts to be mostly spoiler-free. So we need to draw the line for this podcast, and I think the line is going to be that we're going to keep them as spoiler-free as possible. Now, every once in a while, we might play an interview clip where an actor is talking sort of in general terms about an upcoming episode, but, um, you know, the sort of spoiler reports that we do for unaired episodes on GateWorld, we're not going to have those in the podcast.
1: Mayborn and uh, others have asked for an RSS feed for
0: those who don't use iTunes yeah we've just started a new podcast page which will hopefully make it easier for everybody to listen and subscribe and that has links to itunes and it has links to the standard rss feed for this podcast so that you can go ahead and add it to your favorite podcast reader just visit gateworld.net slash podcast jason wasser says thanks for the new podcast i have an idea for the show you guys should talk about some favorite episodes and scenes. David, what are your all time top, uh, top three favorite episodes from both shows?
1: Oh, Window of Opportunity. Uh, my favorites from uh, SG1 are um, Summit and Last Stand, mm-hmm. uh, are my favorite episodes, Window of Opportunity as well. And for Atlantis, it would have to be Sunday and Before I Sleep and.
0: How about Be All My, be sins, all my, remember? my sins
1: Remembered? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Introduction of Fran. Yeah, we love Fran. We love Fran. Yeah, we're going to talk with Fran here pretty soon. We'll have uh, a clip from our interview on the podcast in another couple of weeks. Michelle Morgan, absolute fantastic. My favorites are episodes like Abyss. And The Fifth Race is still one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Stargate Continuum is one of my new favorites. Be All My Sins Remembered. Midway, I thought, was a great episode last year. It was very good. A Wraith named Bob. Hello, Wraith. Uh, I really enjoyed
1: the podcast, especially the discussion about search and rescue. It may even be cool if you take thoughts from the GateWorld users that they post in an episode thoughts for podcast thread under the episode forum. That way, if you don't want their voices heard, and we don't. No, I'm just kidding. Then uh, they know if they post in the thread, then it may be used.
0: It certainly may, Mr. Bob. Yeah, we'll continue to look for more ways for users to submit material, maybe a, a, even a phone number that they could call in and leave a voicemail if they want to have their voice on the podcast. Uh, or if not, we'll make sure to, to create some, some discussion threads where they can have their comments post them to be read like we're doing right now. So thank you, everyone, for your thoughts. Really appreciate it. You know, this, this,
1: um, this podcast is not about us. This and others is not about us. It's about you. So thank
0: you for contributing. Thanks for spending your time with GateWorld today. We really want to hear from you. You can send your feedback to webmaster at gateworld.net or head over to GateWorld Forum and visit the podcast feedback thread. We'd also love it for you iTunes subscribers if you wanted to post a review right on iTunes. In this episode, we talked about the newest episode of Stargate Atlantis, The Seed, and Stargate Continuum, the upcoming DVD movie. Our main topic for discussion next week is Broken Ties, and don't forget we'll have that special bonus podcast a week from Friday to talk about Stargate Continuum. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. This is David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast.